This morning we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 9. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me there as we look at the resurrection of Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice upon the cross, being crucified and punished for our sin. Thank you for your resurrection. As you're alive, you declare victory over sin, victory over death, victory over this world. And as we go through the challenges of this life, we pray that you would empower us to be overcomers. We thank you that you have overcome so that we could be overcomers. Father, I pray that you would bless everyone that's here. You know us. You know what we're going through. You know our thoughts. We ask that you would speak to us, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday, we decided as a family to go up snowboarding. Our oldest two kids and my wife and I, the younger two, went to the grandparents. It happened to be spring break week, Friday, going into a weekend. All of the traffic was going really well until we got to I-70, going west, and hit Idaho Springs. Then it was brake lights as far as you can see. I pulled out the almighty Google Maps to get the bad news. And what should be a fairly short drive turned into an eternity on the road. Maybe you've been stuck on I-70 as well. We're headed to A Basin, which normally you can take Loveland Pass to, but that was closed, so we had to go through Eisenhower Tunnel. And I was begging and pleading with the family to just turn around. I was saying, you know, we can use these lift tickets another day. It's not worth it to sit in some traffic and, you know, maybe even recommending some illegal things to turn off of the freeway. It was possible. <laughs> I, I was desperate. But the ladies, my, my wife and oldest two daughters are like, we got to stick this out. You know, we've, we were not going to get back up here. The season's starting to end. We, we've got to stick it out. So we just kept going and kept going and just parking lot on the freeway. At one point, a snowplow is coming the other direction, coming east. We had our windows down because it was fairly warm, and all this slush comes, and Amber rolls up her window and just in time, and a little bit of moisture came in, but we almost got a very, very dirty bath. But we eventually made it through the tunnel, got to Dillon, got up to A Basin, and we had a great, great time. I'm really glad that we persevered to, to get there and to, to be able to snowboard uh, together. And it really fits with the message of this morning because we're going to talk about being overcomers. And I think a lot of times on the highway of life, when we get stopped and life turns into a big giant parking lot, we feel like giving up, don't we? And as we look at the resurrection of Christ, I want us to see how he overcame the grave so that we could be overcomers in our life. We're going to look at Revelation 1, which is written by John the Disciple. He also wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And one of the themes of John's writing is overcome. He uses the word overcome more than any New Testament author. In John 16, verse 31, quoting Jesus, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. We know that to be true, especially about the events that have taken place this week over in Brussels, this life is going to be difficult. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be heartache. But Jesus goes on to say, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He spoke this right before he was crucified, right before he would rise from the dead. He has overcome the world. 
Then we find in 1 John, John writes and he says, you have overcome the wicked one, speaking to believers. It's our position in Christ. We already have victory over Satan. Then he writes this in 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5. It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you have overcome the world. Then that brings us to Revelation, written to seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And John will use the word overcome to each of these churches. Again, Christ is speaking, and he's saying, if you overcome, here is this promise that is given to you. For us as a family, for Amber and I personally, over this last, I would say, nine months, something that God has really been speaking to us is the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away our sin, and he's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We think of Christ as the Lamb. And what is it in that title that he is the Lamb of God? It's the innocence of Christ. It's the purity of Christ. It's the humility of Christ, the approachability of Christ. If we had a lamb here in the sanctuary, there's not one of us who would feel intimidated about approaching that lamb. And Christ came in his humanity, born in Bethlehem, lived as a carpenter, crucified in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. He was the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. But at the same time as being the lamb of God, he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. The both aspects of Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, it was a lion feat. It was a lion statement. And the exact opposite is true with a lion. You think of the power of a lion. You go face to face with a lion and you're going to be intimidated. You're going to be in that place of fear. Christ rose from the dead and he says, I have conquered sin, offering forgiveness to those who would believe. The penalty of sin has been paid for. Also, the power of sin broken in our lives so that we could overcome sin, that we could live a a victorious Christian life. Also, that he's preparing a place for us. And what I want you to see this morning, this is my prayer for all of us this morning, is this one truth, this one simple truth, is that you could see the situations, I could see the situations, the difficulties, the struggle with sin through the lens of the line of the tribe of Judah, our resurrected Savior. A friend of mine, his name's Levi Lusco, he pastors in Montana. I remember very clearly a few years back, his five-year-old daughter died in an asthma attack. He was wrapping some Christmas gifts with his wife. The, the kids were over at grandma's just a few miles away. Gets a phone call that his daughter's not doing well. By the time that he, he gets there, she's really having a difficult time. She dies in his arms. He tries to resuscitate her five years old. And he wrote a book out of that experience called Through the Eyes of a Lion. How that in the midst of the loss of his child, he had to learn to see that difficulty through the lens of Jesus Christ being the lion. And running towards the roar instead of running away from the roar. We've just been studying David. We looked at David and Goliath a few months ago. And here's Goliath. And Goliath has this very strong roar, doesn't he? But David sees Goliath through the lens of Jesus Christ being the lion of the tribe of Judah, realizing that David has the advantage, that Goliath is the one who's small. All of the army of Israel is running away from Goliath. 
But David chooses to run towards Goliath. He runs towards the roar. And maybe you've been running away from the roar in your life. You've been running away from the Goliath. There's something that makes you afraid. There's something that causes you to live in bondage. And Christ, your risen Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, is speaking to you this morning, and he's saying, run towards the roar. That's the only way that we're going to experience victory in our lives. That's the only way that we're going to overcome. And I'm not saying that the difficulty always goes away. Wouldn't that be nice? That all of a sudden the storm just stops. Sometimes God brings deliverance, but oftentimes he gives us strength to go through the storm. Amen? So as we look at Revelation 1, we're looking at the lion of the tribe of Judah. John gets a vision, John the disciple, of the resurrected Savior. And as he sees the resurrected Savior, it moves him and impacts him in a great way. So join me in verse 9 of Revelation 1. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Patmos is in the middle of the Mediterranean, a beautiful location, but at this time, it was an island for prisoners. John is there very specifically for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's being persecuted for his love for Christ. He's an old man at this point in his life. He's in isolation. He's in difficulty. The churches that he's writing to are also in great tribulation. And he says, we're in this together. The isolation that John experiences provides a tremendous opportunity for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus will still send us to the island of Patmos, our own island of Patmos. Maybe you can relate this morning. You feel isolated relationally. For some reason, relationships aren't going well. Friendships aren't going well. You feel a lot of rejection, and God has put you in a time of isolation. Why? Because he wants to reveal Jesus to you in a greater way. Maybe you're listening on the live stream today from your hospital room, and you had plan to be here. You plan to be celebrating amongst God's people, but you find yourself isolated. Jesus is there ready to reveal himself to you. Maybe it's your physical health. You were able to get here this morning, but that's all the strength you have. You'll go back to your home to not feel good later today. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. Maybe your finances have isolated you. It's caused you to be in a very difficult situation. Whatever the isolation is, it is an opportunity for us to experience the revelation of Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. The key of verse 10, the real lesson of verse 10 is being in the spirit. In a difficult situation to allow ourselves to be immersed in the spirit, in the flow of the spirit on the Lord's day. Couldn't we say that every day is the Lord's day? So here he is in the spirit on the Lord's day he hears a loud voice as of a trumpet. Church, that's the voice of our resurrected Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He speaks, and when he speaks, it's a loud trumpet. It's one of authority. It's one of resurrection power. We think of the Old Testament. One of the things that they would do is they would blow the trumpet. It was a ram's horn to call peoples to battle. It's the voice of Christ, the loud voice Verse 11 saying, this is what the voice was saying, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Jesus says, I am, statement of deity, a lion statement. 
comes from the book of Exodus. Moses is being sent to go back to Egypt. He wants to know the name of who's sending him. Who can I tell them sent me? From the burning bush, the voice of God says, I am that I am, the ultimate statement of power and authority. And here Jesus says, I'm the alpha and the omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. Jesus is saying, I'm the first and the last. Think about your situation, your difficulty, your struggle. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. If you're a believer, he began your faith. He's the author of your faith and he's the finisher. I don't know what kind of end I'm gonna have in this life. I don't know the difficulties that are gonna happen between now and that point, but I do know what my end is gonna be. My end is gonna be forever being with the Lord. You know what your end is gonna be. It's certain, it's established. If you're in Christ, you have everlasting life. He is your end, he is your portion. He is our ultimate goal. He's the alpha and the omega. John's assignment is to take what he sees, to write it down, to send it to these seven churches. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And this is very important. He hears the voice, but then he turns to see the one who is speaking. And when God begins to speak to you, turn and give him your attention. Maybe this morning, God is beginning to speak to you. Maybe it was during worship, as you were driving in on your car. Well, hopefully you weren't on your car, you were in your car. (laughs) Did you see the mountains this morning? It's beautiful. God is speaking to you. Right now, all of a sudden you're going, this isn't quite what I thought for an Easter service. I thought I was just gonna kind of go through the motions, check off the box, but I feel God starting to speak to me. Maybe it's been over this last season of the last several months and turn and listen. Maybe it's at midnight and you can't sleep and the spirit of God is stirring you. Give God your attention. And John here, he locks in on what is going on. He locks in on the voice that's speaking to him and he turns and he looks to see. And what does he first see? He sees seven golden lampstands. We'll find out in just a moment that those are the seven churches. That's God's description of the church. His people that he calls out of the world unto himself is that we're a lamp. We're a light unto the world. We're to be a light unto this community. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Don't you like that? In the midst of the seven churches is Jesus walking amongst his people. I'm really excited about what God is doing throughout the community in Colorado Springs today. Isn't it neat to know that believers are gathering over right now at Vanguard Church, Kitty Corner, right behind us at Discovery Church, and at the Methodist Church, and at New Life Church, Calvary Worship Centers down at World Arena, all these things that are happening, more churches that I I could mention, Radiant Church, and in the midst of all of the churches in Colorado Springs, large or small, Jesus is walking in the midst of the church. But not just in Colorado, also in the East Coast and the West Coast, yes, even Canada, (laughs) South America, Uganda, Europe, believers are gathered together. It's not just Easter Sunday, But every time believers gather, Jesus is in the midst. Amazing. I was convicted and challenged by this thought. Do I really believe that Jesus is here with us this morning? As people were getting baptized, Christ is here. He's right here, standing right here in the fullness of his presence going, oh, you're following me. You're committing your life to me. Oh, praise the Lord. He's in 
our hearts. He's alive in our hearts. See, if we really believe this, that Jesus gathers together with us, do you know how excited we would be to gather with God's people? Whether it's a Sunday morning, or it's believers in your house, or believers getting together at a coffee shop, Christ is in the midst. He's declaring that he is into his church. He calls us his body. What a compliment that he gives to us. He's the head of the church. He says that we're the bride of Christ, that we belong to him. So if Christ is into his church, how much more so should we be into the church? If you aren't gathering together with believers, you're going to miss out on an aspect of your relationship with the Lord. I grew up in Southern Oregon. There's a lot of tree huggers in Southern Oregon. There's a lot of nice trees out in Southern Oregon. And the common thought is, you know, why would I go to church? My sanctuary is the mountains. And I can go into the mountains and draw near to God, and it's just me and Jesus, the grass, the lilies, and the flowers. And it's a wonderful time to draw near to the Lord. Now, I've got to tell you, I love the mountains. I love spending time in God's creation. I hope you do as well. But it's not a substitute for gathering together with believers. It's wonderful to draw near with the Lord individually, but God does something special as we come together corporately. He walks in the midst of his church. In verse 14, or continuing verse 13, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So the first thing that he sees about Christ is he's got this garment going from his shoulders down to his feet. And immediately this gives the imagery of a priest and the garments that the priests would wear. Jesus has a golden band around his chest. Isaiah 61 tells us that we are robed in his righteousness, that he's given us the garment of salvation. So it's pictured here is the fact that we're the body of Christ and Jesus covers us with his garment, covers us with his righteousness. So when the Father looks at us, those that are in Christ, he sees the righteousness of his Son instead of our failures. That is good news. In verse 14, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. So this is poetry. This is allegory. These things are symbolic of attributes of who our risen Savior is, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Why would he be described with white hair? Takes us back to the book of Daniel, where we find that Jesus is titled the Ancient of Days. We know that with age comes white and gray hair. I'm becoming a testimony to that. It, it happens, right? It's, it's a part of life. You've earned it. I've earned it. It's a part of growing. And, and here Christ is seen with white hair. So instead of fighting it, just say, I'm becoming like Christ. <laughs> but what's the lesson for us in our situations to become someone who is overcoming is go to the Ancient of Days. How valuable it is to talk with someone who's a generation ahead of you. But to think about the perspective of Christ, he's seen so many generations, all the generations from Adam until now come and go, and he has wisdom to bring into our life. He's the Ancient of Days. And his eyes like a flame of fire. We think about the eyes of Christ, our risen Savior, and they, he sees everything. Their eyes like the flame of fire. There's no hiding from, from Christ. We think we might be able to hide from Christ, but he sees it all. And so there's a purifying aspect of his eyes, but there's also a comforting aspect of his eyes. You think about a fire. It's destructive in the wrong location, 
But in a fireplace, it's comforting. A campfire, wonderful. S'mores in the mountains. And Jesus' eyes are piercing, but they're also comforting because he says, I see everything about you, but I love you. I died for you while you were still a sinner. And his feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace. I love this. Why would Jesus' feet be likened to brass that had been refined in a furnace, had been burned in a furnace? Because Christ, our lion, the tribe of Judah, he walks with us in the fiery trials of life. Proof of this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. Three Jewish boys, Hebrew boys, taken captive to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is ruling and reigning. He builds this huge gold statue of himself. Nice. (laughs) And he says, I want everybody to bow down to this image of me. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they quite literally stand up while everybody else is bowing down. The music would be played. The rock concert would start. Everybody would bow down. But here's these three men, young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying, I'm not going to do it. Not on my life. They're ordered to be thrown into the fiery furnace. It's heated up seven times hotter. The men that are throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace die from the heat. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their clothes are not burned. Their hair isn't burned. They're having a good time. They're fellowshipping with one another. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, I thought I threw three guys in there. And there's four. And the fourth is like unto the Son of God. Those were his words. Jesus Christ stepping into the pages of the Old Testament to walk with his children literally through the fire. And it's testimony to Christ. And if you're going through a difficult situation, or in the future, if you will go through a hardship, know this, Jesus is with you. He's our good shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's with us in a way that no one else can be. No one else fully understands your loss, fully understands your doubt, fully understands your depression. Even if they've gone through something similar, only Christ. Look at his feet. The lion of the tribe of Judah goes with us through the furnaces of life. And his voice is the sound of many waters. There's something about the ocean and the crashing waves, a waterfall, camping by a stream, It's powerful, it's refreshing, and the voice of Christ is the voice of many waters. We're to understand the full gamut of who Christ is, as he is a lamb, the carpenter who walked on this earth, that understands what it is to be tempted, but yet to never sin. But we're also to understand that he's God. We're also to understand that he's no longer on the cross that he's risen from the dead, and his voice resounds. His voice is powerful. It's the voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Later in the chapter, it says that the seven stars are the seven angels, an angel assigned to each church, and these seven stars are in the hand of Christ. And out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. Church, that's a lion statement. Do you hear me? That's a lion statement. That's our lion. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah saying, when I speak, it's powerful. And the words of Jesus Christ are powerful and they cut and they're sharper than every two-edged sword. And the difficulties in my life, past and present, and I know future, the breakthrough has always been the word of Christ speaking into that situation, speaking into that difficulty. And it doesn't always go away. 
The cloud doesn't always dissipate, but my perspective changes. My understanding changes. The reality that Christ is with me. If you want to be an overcomer, if you come to this Easter service and you say, you know what, there's got to be a little bit more. There is. Christ is risen. And the way that we're going to find victory is right here in the words of Christ. It's sharp. It's powerful. Charles Spurgeon said, the word of God is like a lion in a cage. All you have to do is let it out of its cage. You don't have to try to defend it. Let it out. Let it work in your life. Give it a try. Read it. Believe it. Follow it. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And that's where victory comes from as Christ speaks his word into our lives. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. So this is the description of the face of Christ. Like the sun in its strength. We know that heaven, there's no need for a physical sun because the face of Christ is going to light up heaven for all of eternity. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. We apply this to our struggles. We apply this to our difficulties, our situations, our fears. And we need to let the countenance, the light of Jesus Christ, into the darkness of that situation. God created the physical world to point us to who he is. And light always trumps darkness. Isn't that true? How do you get rid of the darkness? You simply turn on the light. Isn't that what you do? When you go into your garage and it's dark and you can't see, do you curse the darkness? Do you get upset at the darkness? And I can't believe it's so dark. At our house, we turn on the light. Boom, here comes the light. You go into a cave. It's complete darkness. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You turn on your flashlight. It lights up. We look at the difficulty of our world. You look around, apart from Jesus Christ, there's not a lot of hope. There's a lot of things to get depressed about. But I want you this morning to look at your lion, our risen Savior, who's revealing himself to John. Jesus is revealing himself to us. And bring the difficulty into the light of who Jesus Christ is. Is there darkness inside of your marriage? Bring that into the light of Jesus Christ. Is there darkness inside of your workplace? Is there challenges with the kids? darkness inside of our own soul, bring that into the light of Jesus Christ. And as we bring it into the light of Jesus Christ, we're transformed. Number six talks about the light of God's countenance. It says, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I pray that for you this morning, that Jesus would lift up his countenance upon you that you would lift your eyes to the face of Jesus Christ, that you'd see his love afresh for you, that you'd see his power afresh in your life. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Remember, this is John the disciple who had spent three years with Christ, who knows Christ well, who walked with Christ throughout his life after the ascension of Christ, now as an old man, and he's having a greater revelation of who Jesus is, he's so overwhelmed, he falls down on his face as dead. You know what that teaches me? That there's always more to learn about Christ. There's always more for me to understand about the depth of him being the lamb, the greatness of him being the lion. When people encounter Christ, there's a response that's like this. There's a humbling that takes place. There's a falling down before him. There's a brokenness before before God. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
Jesus could have said to John, you know what, you should be afraid. I'm glad that you have had this response, but that's not Jesus because he's also the lamb, isn't he? And Jesus reaches down. John's laying on the ground is dead and Jesus reaches down and puts his hand on his shoulder and says to him, hey, John, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And this is our resurrected savior is he speaks to us and he also touches us. He wants to touch your life. If you've been in Christ and you've walked with Christ for a long period of time, you know what? God wants to touch your life afresh this morning. He's risen. He rose to be in our lives, forever in our lives. If you're new in the Lord, maybe this is the first Easter that you've known Christ as your Savior. Christ wants to touch your life. If you came this morning and you have no idea who Jesus is, maybe you don't even believe that Jesus existed, Jesus wants to touch your life. He wants to show you the reality of his presence. One of the things I love about Christ is it's personal. We're never just a number to God. We're not a social security number to the Lord. We're not an employee ID number. We're not a student ID number. God knows us by name. He knows everything about us. He thinks about us more than the sands of the sea. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. Like, who would care about that kind of detail? God cares. He knows. He knew exactly where you would sit this morning. He knew that someone would take your seat that you normally sit in, and now you're moved to a whole different section, and he knew that, you know? He knows the words that you're going to speak before you even say them. Or you might be headed to a family gathering today or a gathering with friends. He knows what we're going to speak. He knows what we're going to say. He knows what you're going to think about your mother-in-law later this afternoon, right? He knows us, and he wants to touch us, and he wants to give his message to us. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, repeating that message of him being the Alpha and Omega, I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Hear the lion speak. The lion speaks of the tribe of Judah, and he says, I was dead. I was crucified for your sins, but I live. I'm alive. And your perception and belief and experience of Jesus Christ, is he alive? Or have you left him on the cross? Have you left him in the tomb? Is he risen in your life? Is he speaking in your life? Is he active in your life? Is he giving you power to overcome, power to endure, power to continue on through your own Eisenhower tunnel? Saying, keep going, don't give up, overcome, I'm with you. Giving you joy and peace in the midst of the struggle. And Jesus says, I'm alive forevermore. That means no difficulty in our lives, in our generation, in our present time or time to come will ever defeat Jesus Christ, amen? And think of your situation in light of, in the lens of, the fact that Christ is risen. And in a lot of ways, it's put into perspective. In a lot of ways, it's not as big of a deal as I thought coming in here this morning. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus says, I've got the keys to hell and to death. Why does he have the keys? To let people out. So people don't have to go to hell. So you don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity, so you can trust in Christ as your Savior, so death can be defeated, so death wouldn't have the last word. That's why he has the keys. And Matthew 16, he speaks this to Peter and all those that would believe in Christ. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, not talking about Peter, but upon the confession that Jesus Christ is God, 
and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whether you're going through difficulty or not this morning, I want you to hear this. As Jesus says, I've given the keys to the church, to believers, and the gate of Hades, of hell, will not prevail against it. What is the church doing at the gates of hell? We're there desiring that God would do a victory in people's lives, that people would be saved, they'd be redeemed, that their lives would be changed and transformed, that they would go from death to life. Church, we're on mission. God's given us a mission to do. He doesn't want us living in fear. He doesn't want us living in timidity. Hear the lion roar. Hear Jesus roar. And he's saying, I've given you the keys. Now go kick in the gates of hell. That's exactly what Christ is saying and declaring. And we live in fear because there's something going on in our neighborhood. There's darkness in our neighborhood. There's lost people in our apartment complex. There's lost people in our workplace, inside of our family. There's a mindset in America that's not for God and not believing in who God is. You know what that sounds like to me? An opportunity for Christ to work in people's lives. We don't go in arrogance. We don't go in confidence in ourselves. We go in the love of Jesus Christ. We go in brokenness, bringing the message of Christ and how Christ has transformed our lives. But that's what God has called us to do. It's what he has declared for us to do. He has the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. That's the outline of the book of Revelation. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. So the seven stars and the lampstands, Jesus interprets it for us. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. An angel to each church. Also, a lampstand for each church. If you take the time to read Revelation 2 and 3, you'll find these words. You'll find Jesus saying to every church, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Looking out at you this morning, you guys got some nice ears. You got nice ears. But you know what? Not everybody will hear this message. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you have an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Stop and listen. And then Jesus gives a promise, a challenge to each church. And he says, if you overcome, this is what I'll do. If you persevere, this is what I'll do. If you don't give up, this is what I'll do. And remember, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah speaking. And each church gets its own attribute of Christ. He takes these attributes and assigns it to each church. And he's saying, based upon who I am and who I am in your life, don't give up. To Ephesus, he says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To Pergamos, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Thyatira, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. To Sardis, he who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. To Philadelphia, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Laodicea, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. As you read about these churches, they're not perfect. They're called out. 
in the midst of their compromise. Our lives are not perfect, but Christ loved us, he died for us, and he's saying, church, overcome, keep going. So here's my question for you this morning is, do you know Jesus is the Lamb of God slain for your sins? In just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your savior. I'd pray that you'd really contemplate it and you'd really think about it. And the scripture tells us that we're separated from God because of our sin. What's sin? It's when we miss the mark. Some may think that they're a good person, that they don't sin, but I think most of us understand we miss the mark. We lie, we steal, we cheat, we lust, we have anger. And so Jesus came and he died upon the cross for that sin. And he rose again and it's his words, he declares it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Some people will miss eternal life because they've never trusted Christ from their heart. They've known about Christ in their head. Intellectually, they believe that Christ exists, but they've never believed in their heart that Jesus is God. I trust that each of you know your heart condition in relationship to Christ. You know if you have trusted Christ as your savior, or you know if you've never gotten to that place of believing. And I hope this morning that you would hear Christ, not the voice of a preacher teacher, but you would hear Christ speaking to you, I love you, I died for you, while you were at your worst, while you didn't want anything to do with me. And as we go to pray, I'm gonna ask that you'd raise your hand and I wanna be clear, you're not raising your hand to me or to anybody else, you're not joining a church, you're putting your faith in Christ, you're saying, Jesus, I believe in you, that you died for me, that you rose again, I'm repenting of sin and receiving you as my Lord and my Savior. And the amazing gift of Christ, the Lamb of God who is slain for our sins, is then he provides forgiveness. He gives everlasting life. And then also, do you know Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah? That he's got eyes of fire, words sharper than a two-edged sword. And there's a real consequence for rejecting Christ. Yes, he's the lamb, but he's also the lion. And if you say no to Christ over the course of your whole life, ultimately, there is a, a real hell. There's a real eternal punishment. And Christ doesn't want to send anyone there. And then believers, do you live in light of the fact that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah? What's the darkness? What's the doubt? What's the fear? What's the Goliath in your life? And look at head on, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. And can't you picture David, the young shepherd boy, running at Goliath with his slingshot and with his stone and letting it fly. Well, guess what? We have a stone that's far greater than what was in David's slingshot, and it is the stone rolled away from the tomb of Jesus Christ, and it's empty. And because of that, you can head into whatever Christ has for you. So I hope, church believers this morning, I hope that you hear Jesus Christ roar as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And because he's roaring, you can run towards the roar. You can run towards the fear in your heart and your life. So let's press in. Let's wait upon the Lord. Let's give the Lord an opportunity to touch hearts and lives. Jesus, thank you that you love us, that you came, you died, you rose again to provide forgiveness, to provide eternal life for us. You know hearts. Jesus, you tell us in your word that you stand at the door and knock. So Jesus, would you speak to those that need to trust you, to need to put their faith in you, to be born again, to be saved. 
that's you and you'd like to receive Christ in this moment, putting your faith in Christ for salvation, inviting him to be the Lord of your life, would you raise your hand and just raise it real high to the Lord this morning? Leave it up and I'm gonna say a prayer with you. Hands coming up all over the room. Praise the Lord. God sees your hands. If you're listening on the live stream or you're upstairs in the overflow, God's touching your heart. You raise your hand to Christ and pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I turn away from my sin. I repent and receive your forgiveness and invite you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for your promise of forgiving me and giving me everlasting life. You can put your hands down and Father, as a church family, we're so thankful for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of people. We know that the angels rejoice when one comes to you. We rejoice. We ask that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would fill them with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good.